Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Web 2.0 show, Capital Factory. I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. I'll be going solo today because my boy Josh, uh, otherwise known as the solo host of the show, is uh, rocking it steady in a hospital about to bring a new life into this world. That new life's name is Baby Ella, and uh, it's going to be awesome, so... Today is uh, is Josh's uh, you know the birth of his his uh, his daughter. I mean that's crazy. Like next year, today we'll be celebrating Ella's birthday. It's fantastic. March thirty first, the last day of the coolest month in the world. My birthday is also this month, March seventeenth. Yes, St. Patrick's Day. Anyways, we uh, Josh and I wanted to talk to Mark Nathan. Now Mark Nathan is the development director at the Houston Technology Center. He is also a mentor at Capital Factory, and this summer. Starting in May, uh, you know, post the application process, Capital Factory is running a program for startups to basically incubate their next idea for $20,000, $20,000 in prizes, 20 mentors, and 10 weeks. It happens in Austin. Uh, as you know, or as you will find out in the podcast by listening to Mark, that uh, you actually don't even have to go to Austin. They'll even open it up, you know, they're betting on the, the team, not the, jo- or the, the, the jockey, not the horse, which uh, the horse is the idea and the... And the, the jockey is obviously the team creating the product. but uh, So you can be a distributed resource. Uh, in this case, you know, myself and Josh, we run Handcrafted. Handcrafted is a, is a rails firm uh, that handles very large, that, you know, that handles uh, some decent clients and whatnot. And we do that distributed. We don't actually have to be in the same room. So uh, that's the way the things are today. The world is flat. So awesome interview with Mark. Uh, you can check Mark out. Uh, at uh, the Houston Technology Center uh, website, HoustonTech.org, or you can go to CapitalFactory.com and check that out. But uh, hope you enjoy the show. Take care. So we have Mark Nathan with us. Uh, Mark runs the Houston ITC. Uh, what, what does that actually stand for? HTC, the Houston oh. Technology Center. Oh, HTC. I don't know where I got ITC. We've been called much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you also uh, help with um, Capital Factory, which is one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today. Tell us uh, a little bit about what Capital Factory is. Well, I was very honored to join Capital Factory about four or five weeks ago. Uh, the guys that are really running it, Joshua Bear from Other Inbox in Austin and Brian Manell, who runs AustinStartup.com, put together a group of guys in a similar vein of Y Combinator or Techstars, which is essentially a contest-driven seed stage mentorship program for early stage technology companies. And they're looking to get 20 different mentors with $20,000 a piece into the deals for 10 weeks of intensive training and they asked me to join and I couldn't say no. So when you say mentor in uh, in Capital Factor, what kind of things would you be mentoring on? Well, the same things I do here at the Houston Technology Center. What I would be specifically focused on is how to help a startup company grow, basically help them walk through the minefield that it takes to start up a company. Everything from legal structure to finances to capital raising to execution, mentorship on the management side, basically getting their C-level management in place, sales strategy, sales tactics. I mean, you name it. Every company I've ever met needs something, needs help with something at some point. Right. Yeah, that's definitely been a huge pain point for us. Uh, We started our company like... It's uh, last March, so it's been about a year now, and uh, there's so much crap that you don't even realize you have to do, like so many 
uh, tax IDs that you have to get set up for just to be able to pay people. Can't just write a check anymore. You gotta, you gotta do all this other stuff. <laughs> that's exactly the point. That's that's what getting a group of individuals together to kind of walk through the minutia and the trivialities of starting a company. Everything from capital formation, the actual incorporation LLC, C corp, you name it, to getting that tax ID number, to even setting up a bank account. All that stuff should be push button simple, but the fact is, it's not. So is this uh, is this a uh, Mark? Is this your first time participating in one of these, you know, for lack of better terms, contests? Yes, but I've actually been heavily involved with something very similar about three years ago. I, myself and a business partner started something almost identical. Another, uh, what I would call internal or private incubator. We called it Start Ops, OPS for operations. Right. And so it's something that I've dealt with for a long, long time. It's something that I really understand. I, I think I understand. I certainly appreciate it. What it really basically means is that we want to be the back end for a startup company to have their ideas get pushed out there as soon as possible without dealing with some of, once again, the administrivia of dealing with starting up a company. So in terms of – you mentioned before that uh, Capital Factory and what you're trying to do is very similar to something that Y Combinator and other seed stage uh, funding contests have done in the past. What is you know, fundamentally different about what Capital Factory is doing? It's locality, where we are. We're based in Texas, specifically Austin, where most of the mentors are. And the only real difference is that, you know, people who do this kind of thing, the mentors themselves, can only go so far. They can only go so far as usually the, what we like to call the one-hour radius. You don't want to spend a whole lot of time traveling. You want to spend a lot of time locally. Right. So while Y Combinator started in Boston and spread to Silicon Valley, it's now only in Silicon Valley, um, they were only getting companies that could be housed locally. Same thing with Techstars in the Boulder area. And there's a handful of others that have cropped up around the United States in the last couple of months. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's that's uh, an interesting point because, like, Adam and I have always looked at those, uh, those like, Techstars or Y Combinator or Capital Factory, and it's it's one of those things, like, they really look interesting, but for us... You know, we both have families, so leaving our families to go stay somewhere for, you know, eight to ten weeks while we launch our product just doesn't really seem practical. <clears throat> Not on an everyday case, but one good point for, for me and one reason why we're talking to Mark now is that we're we're pretty heavily active in, in Houston, at least to some extent. Like, we participated in a startup weekend a while ago and have some local clients here as well, but it would be easier for me to get to Austin than Josh but naturally, we're just like I mentioned a little earlier when you and I talked, Mark. Was that we're naturally just a distributed company, anyways? And you know, what's the outlook on say a distributed company like Handcrafted getting involved? Pretty high. What we're looking for is winners, and that's a very hard thing to pick because we don't know what the future holds. So obviously, in the Y Combinator slash TechStars model, you have to be on the ground and getting that intensive mentorship on an hourly, if not daily basis. Now. I'm a strong believer in distribution. Obviously, the Internet and Web 2.0 and all the tools and, and communications have allowed us to do th certain things. But um, I don't think it's an absolute critical, specific criteria that you have to be in Austin on the ground doing these deals. And so virtual mentorship, while not as good, I'll be the first to admit it, is still good enough if you, if you have the right kind of mentality and the right kind of team put together. Right. And uh, in terms of doing actually you know uh implementing that uh you know distributed 
participation in Capital Factory, what kind of tools would you use to keep that distributed resource kind of in touch or involved? Sure. Well, obviously the ones that we're using now, we're right now on a Skype call. Skype's easy. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're very, very big believers, and I think all early stage or seed stage companies are looking for what we now call capital efficiency because the tools themselves have gotten so cheap to the point of free, and they actually work. Right now, um, just to get into the, the geeky side of things, we're using Google Docs to manage our application process. Yeah, I saw you bounce back and forth from, I think you were using something with AngelSoft, and then now you bounce back to your Google Doc. That's correct. So AngelSoft is an organization that was founded by David Rose, one of the guys that runs New York Angels, obviously, in New York. And it's an application, web-based, web 2.0-based application for angel organizations. I happen to know them very well. I was the guy that helped them get into the Houston Angel Network, and now I use them both for, well, actually for four separate units. Houston Angel Network, the KD Doc, which is a KD incubator just got launched in November, the Houston Technology Center itself, where I work, I'm trying to get them more engaged with that system. And now, Capital Factory. Um, it's really an online social network and online business process organization like Google Docs or Google uh, Spreadsheets, but it's really focused specifically on the processes that are involved in actually getting capital raised. Okay. So it, right now, it's had some glitches as far as what we need for its application. But that could change today. It could change in the next hour. <laughs> Just like any web app. So, That's exactly uh, not to, I guess, throw a, a monkey wrench in here, but to get back more to Capital Factory, mm-hmm. it's you apply. If you get accepted, it's twenty thousand dollars in funding for five percent of your company, and then you get twenty thousand dollars in free stuff. And uh, you get access to the 20 mentors for 10 weeks? Yes. Okay. And then one demo day to to launch the world. Correct. Correct. Now, the thing is, like like any startup, we haven't done this before. Now, we've seen it done before, and other organizations have done it properly, specifically Y Combinator and Techstars, of course, because they've been around for three years and two years, respectively. And, excuse me. Y Combinator does this for four years. Techstars, this is its third year. But we're brand new, so we're feeling each other out. We're doing what a startup does. It kind of understands what they do, but it's using some comp- comparables for other organizations and trying to build it for its own locality. So, yes, for a percentage of the company, we're giving the, co- we're giving the individual companies that are picked 20000 in cash, which is really lunch money. It's not a whole lot of cash. It's really the... Uh, it should cover some living expenses. And guys like you and really guys like me who can't afford to live away from their family, not work, specifically focus only on their startup, that's not enough cash because you have what we like to call social overhead, a mortgage, kids. Now you, Josh, with a new kid coming up. These things happen. And so the program itself is more geared towards the proverbial two kids in a garage, although that's not necessarily where all the startups really are. No. Yeah, definitely. So uh, now, is your is the funding level dependent on how many founders are in the business? Because I know with like Y Combinator and TechStars, you usually get like six thousand dollars per founder. Right. Well, the reason why we picked this, and I was not involved with the actual uh, specifics of the documentation and how we did this, we did very simple back of the envelope math: twenty founders and five grand a piece is a hundred thousand dollars. To do three companies at 20 gives us enough overhead 
to manage this and do this over again and again and again. So, yes, it is dependent on the amount of, of, of founders and what you need. But $20,000, we've always said, is really just a token amount. It's just enough to get you excited and get involved. And we believe very strongly. Obviously, we're sellers here, not buyers. But we believe the advice and the tools and the things that we've been able to accomplish and able to wrap together and sew together, like the PR, like the marketing, like the legal work, that actually adds a tremendous amount of value on top of the cash itself. But that's up for our founders and our startups to decide. Interesting. I'm interested to, unless you got anything to say, Josh, I'm kind of interested to hear more about what the demo day is going to be like. Like, paint a picture for you know me and Josh what 10 weeks later is going to be like. Well, as I mentioned, we're only using the models that we've seen before. Uh, we know that Y Combinator and Techstars demo days are really very exciting events. I mean, the fact is that this is the culmination of all the work because even if you figure out a way to cure cancer or turn straw into gold or, you know, fuel your car with water, if you can't sell it, if you can't explain it to somebody else, if you can't communicate it, it's practically worthless. So Demo Day really is the distillation of all of the energy and all of the activity and all of the work that's being put in into a single day of mentorship, discussion, and press, and all the things that it takes to actually get a company out there and get it out to the world. So just to shift gears again, because, you know, I like to do that, um, what, tell us a little bit about... Uh, uh, funding, like what, what's the process to get capital for a company? That's something we've never talked about on the show, and I think a lot of people would be interested to hear like what that process is like for someone. Well, 10, 15 years ago, the only way to really raise a whole lot of money to start a company was through venture capitalists. Now, venture capitalists have been around since the very late 60s, started out in California. They've essentially built a organization, really an entire section of private equity around making very large bets on very small companies, hoping to make 10 to 100 times the return. Well, the problem, very simply, is this. That's hard to do in a lot of different ways. Are you guys still there? Yeah, we're still here. I'm sorry. It it totally dropped out on me. We're going to have to cut that. Um, I'm going to start again. Venture capital is an organization as, as a process is very difficult. It favors connections. It favors relationships. It favors a lot of different criteria that haven't ever really been written in a book or you can't follow unless you have it. So in a lot of ways, it's become an old boys club. Well, that old boys club has opened up a little bit, but uh, we've all seen the boom and the bust in the dot-com world and the dot-com bust. And right now, I think 10 years after that, here it is, 2009, things have gotten a little bit easier. Angel investors, those people that are individual people who have not raised a fund as opposed to VCs who have raised a fund from other investors, have become a lot more sophisticated. The tools have become a lot easier, and people's mentality has become much more um, conducive to raising smaller amounts of capital. The other side, and this is what I really like to get into, is the fact that most dot-com-style, high-tech, Web 2.0 startups don't need a lot of money. We talked about it earlier. The tools themselves, whether it's Google or Skype or even Basecamp, things like that to actually manage your process, manage your business and do your things, don't cost you much anymore. A few years ago, it would cost you half a million dollars just to buy servers and buy cold fusion licenses and buy technology skills that you don't even need anymore. Today, the basic price of starting a company is next to nothing. It's a domain name, eight bucks plus 
all the services and software you can get online through the LAMP stack or even through my, uh, programs like Microsoft BizSpark, which I'm heavily involved with. The tools to production are zero. You know, a few years ago, you couldn't collect online payments via credit card. It didn't exist. Then PayPal showed up, and that's how we do things. A few years ago, you couldn't do web process documentation. Now you've got, like I said, Google Docs and a variety, a crop of other Web 2.0 companies that will do a lot of these services for you. Invoices were a hassle. Now we've got things like FreshBooks. You know, the tools have become so much easier that it means that the process, what you need to do and what your idea is, becomes a lot faster to market. Uh, even building websites themselves have become much easier with free tools and free hosting, essentially free hosting. So I'm a big believer that the only money you should ever raise is from your customers, people who are willing to pay you directly for what you're providing or what headache you're solving. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant. Oh. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, we, we definitely agree with that. Uh, that's, that's kind of the approach we've taken um, with our business, and we've certainly seen it succeed a number of times. I think if you look at something like GitHub, that's probably one of the, the crazy good examples of a really good bootstrap startup. You know, they were just working in their, their spare time on GitHub, and uh, they pushed it to the point where they launched, and they pushed it to the point where they got paying customers, and, you know, now it's their full-time job, and they're hiring other guys, and it, it's pretty awesome to watch something like that happen. Sure, because they solve a need in the marketplace. Right. You know, they're, they're, sol- they're basically creating a, a problem solver that didn't exist before, and people are willing to put their money where their mouth is and buy their product. Yeah, and that I, to me is the. I guess that kind of goes back to thirty-seven signals, and you know, build something you need, and chances are there's going to be other people that need it as well. Right. Well, we built Tweetbots. We needed it. I know Josh was sick of doing the same damn config at the server level every time we needed to do uh, another retweet or DM tweet type thing, which is now involved into DM Tweetbot. But uh, Tweetbots turned out as a as a handcrafted need, and you know we really experienced the the joys of that. I think back when the Rails Rumble happened last year, we um, within a matter of minutes we were building Jotly. We had the domain secured. We had the, you know, some of the design already started out. Josh was working on a database, and I was in Tweetbot setting up, you know, us to be able to DM tweet during the actual uh, conference or during the actual contest. Sure, and that's a perfect example. You saw, you had a need yourselves. You solved it elegantly with with a little bit of code. You didn't spend any money at all on developing that stack of tool sets that you needed to create it, but you got it out there. And so the other half of that, once you built it you got to make sure they'll come. And to make them come, you got to actually get out there and tell people about it. Right. That's one thing that, in my mind, that's where the real money is spent nowadays. It's on so, so basically what you're saying, what I hear you saying is really it's it's uh, about the, the just enough money to get started and real hardcore execution. That's Proper exactly execution. right. So what's that, what's that really mean? I mean, if you're using, let's say, a viral or social media market plan, then you need to have enough overhead covered individually to go out there and spend the time it takes to nurture and grow a social media market plan. That doesn't cost a lot of cash outlay. It does cost a lot of time, and time with individual founders is their money. So that's why it doesn't take a whole lot of money to start a new company, but it does take a little bit of money to sustain it. Yeah, that's the, that's actually the part that becomes, uh, if you don't do it right, if you don't execute right, becomes the hard part of sustaining it. Because in the end, you have to have cash flow to pay out payroll, and you have your ongoing overhead expenses, which doesn't exactly turn out to be a lot, 
want to use online tools like 37Signals, suite of web apps, or even Google Docs or some of the free blends, regardless, you still do have some overhead. Like we've got various services we have in place that monitor our servers that uh, – like for instance, GitHub is an is expense for us. I mean, you don't see that really as a huge expense, but you know, fifty bucks a month to have a decent plan and have enough repos and the kind of space we need you know, that starts to add up at the end of the month. So sustaining does become the challenge. Sure, and that's true of almost all startups. People who do startups are a strange animal to start with. I mean, they they're not uh, what by any means anybody would call normal or average. That's kind of the whole point. Um, you know, I believe very strongly that 99% of the people in the world are sheep and only 1% are shepherds, and that's about the same ratio you'll get from startups to people that will work for a startup or work for a large company. And the fact is that startup companies have a lot of uh, – they have a lot of trails they have to blaze by themselves because nobody is out there helping them. The whole point of having a mentorship program or even people that will help you grow your business – is that they'll kind of show you where the scars are so that you can actually figure out how not to get those particular scars and get your own scars so you can help the next guy. Now, um, one thing I've always found kind of frustrating is sometimes you'll have, like, a really great idea. Like, um, we came up with, um, for the first Rails Rumble, we came up with Tasty Planner, and we executed it really well, and we've even built upon it really well. But the only thing we seem to be able to do with it is to entertain offers to purchase it or to throw Google ads on it and make a little bit of money. But it's not really sustainable as a real startup. Do you guys, do the mentors work with people to kind of come up with ways and ideas and and viable plans for making money uh, with their idea? Well, the answer is yes and no. I mean, the fact is, is that we have an old thing in the investment world. It's bet the jockey, not the horse. And that means you're always going to bet on the guy that's a really sharp, really with it, really knowledgeable person, even if the idea itself isn't that great relative to the, the level of the team. But you also have to have something that people are willing to pay for in a profit-centered world. Now, if you're building a social good, if you're building something that makes everybody smile and everybody happy, then it's a different value proposition than selling a tool that people need because it helps their everyday life or makes their world better. So, yes, we will certainly help with business strategy, sales strategy, marketing strategy. But, you know, at the end of the day, your tool or your product has to be something that people want. And it's got to be a visceral and intrinsic thing. And if it's not, that's what marketing is for. I think what Josh is trying to say, though, is that the market has obviously said that Tasty Planner is hot. There's, been, there's what, Josh, 8,000, 9,000 people using Tasty Planner now? But mm-hmm. yet they still have a trouble getting over the hump of actually getting paid to use it. I don't. I don't think it's the getting paid to use it. It's figuring out how and what to charge for, and if if that'll even work. Well, you're going to have 20 separate mentors with probably 20 or 30 different opinions about how to do that. That's one thing about guys that are in the investment mentor space. Every one of us has a pretty big ego. Most of it's not earned, but some of it sometimes is. And the fact is, you're going to get a variety of opinions, and it's the job of the people that are mentee, the people that are learning to synthesize and figure out what's best for them. Because you can listen to the same narrative, the same story over and over again, but if it's not relevant to your life, and it's not relevant to your particular circumstances, it doesn't really matter. That being said, if the metaphors and the allegories, if I sold this back in this circumstance, and you could sell this in that circumstance, if you can synthesize that information, you're much better off. And that's why we believe the mentoring part of what we're doing with Capital Factory, and really all investment advisory type world, that's the real benefit of being involved with a situation like that. 
So the answer to your question you asked earlier is absolutely yes. We're going to try to figure out how to make your business, like your company Tasty Bits, will sell in the real world. It might be a value proposition. You might be selling it to the wrong person. You might be selling it differently than what you're selling it now. But um, you know, getting traction, getting users, getting fan base is one thing. Making that fan base profitable is a totally different story. Yeah. So um, one thing we probably haven't touched on is with the the 5%, are there any weird clauses like uh, right of refusal for sales or anything like that? We're going to try to make this as investor-friendly as possible. Um, at the end of the day, you know, an investor is there for one reason, not to invest. If they're not an investor, then they're just a, phil- they're a philanthropical in nature, and they're giving this as a grant. That's not the point here. Um, no, we don't want to put any gotcha clause in there. We don't want to hurt the entrepreneur in any way. Our job is specifically to help accelerate your business, not to hold, not to hold you back. Because the minute we take equity, we're your partner. And if we're holding the company back in any way based on some of the contract clauses that we put in, it hurts us ultimately. Because everybody, the entrepreneur and the investor, are looking for the next guy to buy it, whether that's customers and it spins off cash or whether it's another investment group or a strategic investor that will actually buy the company outright to create a return. Hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's just business sense. That's common sense from a business perspective. You know, if we, if investors were in the business, and everybody's heard the horror stories, everybody's heard the, the terrible uh, guy who stole the idea and did it himself and all that, but the fact is that rarely actually ever happens. Because it's not the idea that's so important, it's the execution. Right. And if it was such a great deal, the investor would not be an investor, he'd be doing his own startup. In many cases, that's the point with these capital factory people. They're working on their own deals, they're working on their own business, but they still want to help and give back to the community to create more good ideas and more economic wealth. When, uh, this is probably too deep in the details of things, but just curious on how it plays out. Whenever you say you get $20,000 in cash, $20,000 in, in prizes, when, when does that, that uh, you know, funding get awarded to the, you know, I guess the company getting involved? In, in this case, it might be someone like Handcraft or something like that. When does that money actually become their money to do with what they need to do with, and are they bound by any sort of terms of how they can spend that money in the 10 weeks? Sure. Yes. So because it's a contest, a contest has winners and losers, what happens is very simple, and we're still going through this. This is our very first time, so we're still a little new at this. But it actually makes pretty much common sense if you think about it. We're going to get together at the end of the admission period, which is April 3rd, that's this Friday coming up, and we'll determine what we like collectively. Now, once again, there's going to be some politics and there's going to be some discussion. There's going to be some opinions thrown out. And I would imagine probably a couple of hurt feelings. But ultimately, the 20 of us will decide and determine which of the three companies that we're going to pick to help. And those companies, once a contract is signed, like a term sheet in the VC world, that's when they'll receive the cash. Okay, so just so I'm understanding correctly, it's, it's three... You're not willing down a bunch of select, uh, selectees down to three and then down to one. You're actually going to push three into this business phase and, and hand out $60,000 divvied up between three companies. Correct. That's the plan. That's the plan. That's what we want to do. We think that that three companies is enough for 20 mentors to handle. Um, I've been getting a lot of static from one of the companies, a friend of mine who runs a company here in Houston, that he would pay $20,000 just to get rid of these 20 mentors. Because he doesn't, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, I hear his point. But um, 
we believe very strongly that we collectively, even though everybody's got families and businesses and other things and other things that are in the fire, three companies is what we can help. Because the truth is, is that in the portfolio theory of things, portfolio theory means if you do 10 deals, one of them is going to be a massive home run, grand slam, winner takes all kind of thing, whereas the other nine are going to be either one or two base hit type of deals or outright failures. But that one blockbuster home run is going to make up for all the overhead and all the losses you're going to see in the other nine companies. Now, in, in our case, if we just picked one company, 20 guys working on one company, that's way too many cooks in the kitchen and not enough Indians on the chief side. So we think three is enough to, to manage the time because some guys are going to like one thing where some other guys are going to like another. So we feel this, this uh, spreads it out enough for everybody to be happy. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, the more I hear you describe it, it does sound more and more interesting. I think it does, it does take some explanation. I, I think, you know, maybe in the future, I don't think you've done anything wrong in terms of your website, but it, and I think there's even a, a video there that I didn't watch, so I'm going to go ahead and slam that quickly, but I haven't even right. watched it yet. Is that, uh, is that Josh in the front there, Josh Bear? That's Josh Bear. That's correct. Gotcha. Okay, so he probably goes through what what you and I just what you me and Josh just went through, but in deeper detail in that quick four minute and thirty five second video, right? I think he does, yes. Okay, but at the end of the day, look, this is our problem. This is Capital Factors' problem. We've got an awareness issue, and we've got a messaging issue. And this is, like I said, we're very much like a startup company. All startups have these issues. Right, you guys have you extended the the application process back one week. Is that is that due to just not getting enough or not getting enough quality? No. No, that's that's specifically because we wanted to make sure that we had enough people who were interested to get their applications in. No, it had nothing to do with the quality or the amount. But we want to make sure that we have enough of a data set to be able to choose three solid companies. Like and you said, betting on the jockey, not the horse. I mean, you're you're going to bet on, you know, a solid company. Let's just say, you know, handcrafted as an example. Sure. A good solid company who's proven themselves in the market, at least to some extent, and, and you know there's enough you know social credit there to wager a bet of twenty thousand dollars, twenty individuals in ten weeks on, basically. Correct. Percent. Correct. Okay. And that criteria is going to be individually different for every every person, every investor, but collectively, and we don't know each other all. The twenty guys don't know each other right now. It's actually two women as well. Um, like I said, this is mostly based in Austin. They took pity on me and brought me in from the Houston area. <laughs> but but the fact is that a lot of these people do know each other, and it makes a lot of sense because getting a fresh look at some of these deals will give collectively the whole capital factory a much better understanding, a 360 idea of what these companies really mean and what they're really doing. Well, I tell you, I mean, it certainly sounds like a, a great program. I'm, I'm really glad that we took the time to to hash this out with you. I think that our audience, you know, when I talked to Josh and I said, yeah, have you actually had a, a show on, you know, funding, seed funding, any of this at all? And, you know, he said no. So it, it sounded like a really good opportunity to have you on, especially since you're so active here in the Houston sort of community. You know, one of the things I did want to quickly chat about, if we could, was just like starting up in Houston. Like what's, what kind of resources can you tell our listeners about that are in the Houston area you know, what kind of resources are here in Houston they could tap into? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, well, as you, I certainly appreciate that. I, I am, I, at least I think I position myself as being a pretty active member of the Houston startup community. 
been doing this for roughly, I thought about it just recently, I've been doing this for about 10 years, to be honest with you. I started my company when I was back in college, and I've been doing this ever since. So what are the resources? Well, I'll give you two separate sets of resources, and I think this is true of all cities that are modern in appearance. I mean, let's just call them Western cities, just to, just to call the data set just a little bit. Um, You've got formal organizations, and that includes things like the Chamber of Commerce, my organization here, the Houston Technology Center, which is a formally uh, a formally structured incubator. You've got university organizations and their support systems, like what we have here at Rice University, Rice Alliance. Um, and you've got things like uh, MIT Forum, which comes out of the Boston MIT. They have different groups of people all over the country that are alumni associations that put on events that help other startup companies. So you also have other formal organizations, once again, city-run or state or government-run, like what we have here, the Small Business Development Center, which is actually run out of our University of Houston. But um, then you've got the informal stuff. Now, I make it no secret that I put my, my feet in both barrels here. I put my feet in both pools. Uh, one of the other formal organizations is our angel investment group, the Houston Angel Network, at HoustonAngelNetwork.org. We're actually the second or third largest angel network by way of actual members and by funding sources and the amount of companies funded. So these are the formal things. These are what you would see in the uh, newspaper or in the, you know, on, on Chamber of Commerce websites. The informal side of things where I really like to live is places like Caroline Collective, which is a co-working site, the largest co-working site in the United States right now. You've got organizations like Refresh Houston. You've got meetups like NetSquare. You've got meetups like uh, the Web Design Meetup Group. Uh, I run another organization called Open Coffee Club, which was originally started by uh, VP of Skype, now a, a VC himself, a guy named Saul Klein out in London. There's all kinds of organizations on the formal and informal side. Another informal group of organizations is uh, BarCamp which holds events for when people that are listening to the Web 2.0 show, I'm certainly sure know a little bit about Bar Camp. Yeah. And we have all kinds of camps all day long. As a matter of fact, coming up very shortly, April 11th, we've got a freelance camp happening here in Houston. Uh, Houston has become very central to the Bar Camp scene, and that's every kind of camp, from Bio Camp, which is coming up next week, to the freelance camp, as I mentioned, the week following, Presentation Camp is in May, um, plus our regular Bar Camps and, and Green Camp we had recently. These are the kind of things that we try to create a community. Another great community source here in Houston specifically are is a place called the Coffee Grounds, which you'll see on my Twitter. I, I mention it often. It's about six blocks from my office, and I'm there about four or five times a week. It's become a central hub for people doing startup business. Just a coffee shop that happens to be a uh, very socially networked aware coffee shop that gives free Wi-Fi, and it's become a central hub for people that are in the startup world. Um, every city in the United States has these kinds of things. Now, obviously, there's more in places like San Francisco and New York City and Chicago, and there's less in places like Arizona, um, you know, Florida, you name it, Cincinnati. <laughs> but Cincinnati, I know for a fact, has its own incubator because I've talked to those guys. Oh, really? And so, oh, absolutely. They must suck at the so, jobs. <laughs> well, actually, they're pretty good. I've seen them. I've talked to them. I actually met them at uh, South by Southwest. Oh, nice. These guys are, you know, every city that cares about creating wealth and creating jobs has something similar to this. And if it's not the city, then it's a university. If it's not the university, it's a private group that has decided to stay in that town and build a web business or build a startup company based on Internet technology. 
Um, that's the greatest thing about internet technology. It's totally distributed. So the, the truth is, is that it's all out there. It's just a matter of people going out, either creating it themselves, it doesn't exist, or finding the right people that will make it happen. And uh, one thing that Houston I'm extraordinarily proud of is that we've done this over the last three years. I, I have to give a lot of credit to my friends Kurt Stoll and Josh Taven, who started Startup Houston recently. Actually, they started three years ago, uh, but it's really come to its own. We have a startup happy hour once a month. It's actually coming up next Thursday if anybody's hearing this on time. Um, and we do events, and we do events to get the community involved. We do the community events so that other people can know that they are not working in a vacuum. And to me, that is what a community is really all about. Yeah. I've been meaning to actually get to that uh, that happy hour a number of times. I think it just turns out that I live um, – you know, I live. Sticks. Yeah, no, it's not really the sticks. I mean, you know, we're talking about like the Cypress area. It's not mm-hmm. quite, you know, spring, which is up 45. It's to the left a little bit. I'm just off, just east off of 249 between 249 and 45. So, so I mean, I'm up there quite a bit. Huh? Sure. For, for the non-Houstonians, people listening to this podcast, it should be said that Houston is a very interesting town and that we're really five separate cities that are connected by two concentric loops. Yeah. But he just said he's about 25 miles north of Houston. That's going to be just an address, too. Right. So that means it's 25 miles both ways. So at late at night, after a couple of drinks at a happy hour, that's tough, especially if you've got a family. Mm. We certainly recognize that. That's not easy. That's why even getting to our own inner circles, like this, uh, the past one or two uh, Rails meetups, or mm-hmm. I guess Ruby, uh, right. the Ruby group, which we, we primarily talk about Rails stuff lately, but you know, certainly language-specific stuff. Uh, I even have you know trouble getting to that, and I really want to go. I mean, I know a lot of the guys there, and I enjoy my time there, but it's just sometimes tough to get down there. Perhaps it would be sure. nice if uh, some of those things split over to the ancillaries of uh, of Houston and come north a little bit. Or you you can move well, south. Or I can move south. <laughs> we've we've done that. We, you're a hundred percent right. I, I recognize that. A lot of people have recognized that. We've planted a flag in Katy place called Katie Dock, which is a co-working site that's putting together its own incubator. Uh, we're, I had a conversation just about a month ago, less than that, three weeks ago, with a group up in the Woodlands doing the same thing. Um, there's been some interest in the Clear Lake area and, and another group in the Sugarland area. So for once again, the people that are not in Houston, that's the five separate towns or cities that are the greater Houston area, which is still about 5.6 million people, fourth largest uh, continuous area in the United States of uh, population growth. Yeah, that's a good spread, though. Katy and, and the Woodlands and Sugar Land, those are good spots. Well, I mean, those would, are good, you know, far enough outside the uh, the inner rings of Houston. Right. And so like a damn would, planet. Well, that's what it is. I mean, let's think about it, a constellation. If Houston, let's call Houston downtown as the uh, – as the sun, you've got all these planets out there, and they all have their own ecosystems. And they all have their own different flavors, and they have their own different feels and their own different communities. And there's only a handful of people that can be at all places and all times. It's just not easy. Well, cool. So that's that's quite a bit. And Caroline Collective, they, they do a really good job of keeping the community together. I like the I like the openness of that. And I think, the, you know, like you had mentioned, Josh Tat, uh, Taven and uh, Kurt Stoll, they've done a, a fantastic job starting up uh, – HoustonStartup.com. Uh, I remember, you know, way back uh, a couple years ago when Andrew Hyde, fir- uh, Andrew Hyde first came through Houston with uh, with his Startup Weekend, participated in that, and that was sort of the start of my experience with Houston Startup World. Hmm. 
back then. It was just a couple years ago, but still long right. enough ago that it was almost three years ago when they were first starting the Houston Startup Blog. But they've done a really good job there, and it's nice to see that you have these kinds of, you know, entren- what I call entrenched uh, resources because ever since I've been aware of the startup world here in Houston, I've heard your name, I've heard Josh's name, and I've heard a consistent name. So it's nice to see that you guys have all stayed true and, and stayed focused on the goal of helping Houston better establish its uh, its startup world and give uh, people like me and Josh and our company the kind of resources we need to tap into. Well, one thing about Houston is we are, and we really foster this, we are the most entrepreneurial city, an entrepreneurial-friendly city in the United States and really the world. Um, clearly, I'm biased, and I, I'm not giving the whole you know, greater Chamber of Commerce speech about things, but we really believe in this openness, and we've done very, very well by it. Um, I met Josh through a friend of mine, a very successful entrepreneur about three years ago. Uh, the day I joined the HTC, I actually sat down for coffee with both Josh and Kurt, who asked me to join Startup Houston, and I laughed and I said, I'll help you more with HTC uh, as an insider than I ever would as somebody who's part of the team. Um, but we work very, very closely together. We co-sponsor events. We're at each other's things all the time. Both Kurt and Josh have become personal friends of mine on, so- on top of being business friends of mine. And the same is true of Matthew Wettergreen at Caroline Collective. We were trading emails just yesterday, or today as a matter of fact. The guy's become a personal friend because he is a true believer, the same way I'm a true believer, that fostering other companies and helping other people start up is like a rising tide raising all the ships in the harbor. So these guys are true believers, and one thing about Houston is, yes, we're very open and welcoming, and if you want to help, we'll certainly give you an opportunity to do so. If you don't, you sort of fade into the, into the, into the sunset very quickly as well. And we have a very, very, very easy way of figuring that out, because if you show up and if you participate, you're in. And if you don't show up and you don't participate, you're out. It's very democratic in that way. Yeah. As it should be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, we don't have a lot of hierarchy. We don't have a lot of uh, entrenched, what I would call, um, politics. And certainly you're going to have a few of them, but we're really collaborative. And that's something that I think is very helpful for everybody involved. Yeah. Well, I want to say uh, thanks to you, Mark, for coming on the show and uh, talking about all these, I guess, variety of topics that we've barraged you with. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. I'm looking forward to hopefully I'll cross my fingers and hopefully you guys will uh, put your application in for Capital Factory. And, and if not this time, then certainly next. And if not next, then we'll certainly work on you in the startup community here in Houston. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. I, th- I think we are going to put an app in, though. So, um, And, and just, just for all our listeners, what uh, what's the deadline? What's the date? April 3rd. So you've got exactly five days from today. Right. Yeah. So this this from actually today. goes out on Tuesday. Yeah. So tomorrow well, you've got four days from today. Hurry up! <laughs> it's not that hard. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it's a simple online form. What are you working on? What are your interests? Do you want the help? And if you don't make it, it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on us. So the fact is, and I talked to Brad Feld, the guy that runs the Tech Stars up in Boulder. And we talked about this very same thing. A lot of people that don't get accepted end up joining one of the teams that do get accepted. You know, we believe very strongly that cream rises to the top. Now, not we can't always pick the right cream, but we can certainly pick the right glass, and that right now is Capital Factory. Well, um, if you guys want to, any listener wants to go and make an application, go to cap- capitalfactory.com. It's capitalfactory.com forward slash apply.html. 
for the actual and, application. And I'll give out my email address if anyone wants to contact me directly about Capital Factory or the Houston Technology Center or really the Houston startup scene. It's M Nathan. That's N A T H A N, like the hot dog, at Houston Tech T E C H dot org. Awesome. Cool. cool. Well, well uh, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. I like I like to see the synergy there. There's a lot of uh, a lot of union there. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Web 2.0 Show with Josh Owens and myself, Adam Stachowiak. Be sure and visit web20show.com for links in the show notes or to leave a comment on the show. Thanks for listening.